Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. Um, as Josh mentioned, we are continuing in Romans 8. So if you have your Bibles, I'll, I'll encourage you to open up to Romans 8. And uh, what we're going to read from here. If, uh, if you're in a connection group, you may know that a lot of our connection groups are, are following along with the sermon series, Sunday morning sermon series, in their connection groups. So we're getting a chance to, to go a little deeper into what we talk about on Sunday morning. Uh, if you're not in a, even if you, whether you are or aren't in a connection group, I advise you to read along with us. It'd be great um, just to show up on Sunday morning and have read the scripture and be prepared. And if, if you don't have a Bible, we've got them for free out at the Info Hub. And we just want to invite you to take one. We, we'd love for you along with us to just delve deeper into what this means, what, what God has for our lives uh, through Romans 8 and then as we continue in future series. So we'd love to see you there. But we're going to start in Romans 8. And uh, what I thought I'd do is just read the whole scripture that we're talking about this morning. And then um, we'll, we'll carry on from there, all right? Romans 8, we're going to start with verse 18 this morning. And it says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. There's an awful lot to that scripture, and uh, I'm going to take a couple minutes to unfold what I think it means in our lives. But before we do that, I just want to pray for clarity. Will you pray with me? Father God, I just pray this morning that that scripture would be revealed to us, that, that everything that you have for each of us in that uh, would be laid out here in the next half an hour and, and that uh, you would have us hear exactly what you want us to hear, Lord. So just pray that you'd prepare us, open our hearts, open our minds to what you'd have us know. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my name's Steve. Uh, I'm on staff here at Genesis Church, and many of you know uh, that my wife and I have recently moved. We moved to a new house, and, and uh, it was our third move, our fourth house. And as you uh, live life together and, and you live uh, in, in the same place for a while, you start to accumulate a lot of things, right? You start to, uh, you have a lot of decisions to make when you move, right? I mean, you have, you have big decisions like what school district you're going to be in and, and, and what neighborhood you're going to be in, and you have little decisions that come along. And, and, and as we moved, my wife and I found ourselves... Uh, almost always on the same page, but there was one major decision, big decision that we were on different pages of, uh, over this decision. And, and, and she felt one way about it pretty strongly and I felt the other way about it pretty strongly. And, and so we, we talked about it and we, we prayed about it and, and thought about it. And, and in the end, I decided that she was right. 
As often happens, I decided that on this big decision that she was right, and so we decided not to get cable television when we moved. Now, let me tell you, a big player in this decision was this. At our old house, we had satellite television, and what I came to realize was that it seemed to me 60 to 70% of the shows that were on cable were infomercials. Have you noticed that, that you pay for channels that are mostly infomercials to try to sell you things. And, and, and I think that there are two types of infomercials. Uh, I, I always break them down into two categories. There are, there are infomercials that, that promise to make your life easier and infomercials that promise to make your life better, right? Okay, so there are infomercials that promise to make your life easier. These are things like, like the ShamWow, right? You're going to spend 20 bucks on paper towels a month anyway, so why not just get this ShamWow? And you can, you know, if your pet elephant has an accident in the house, you can wipe it up with this thing and then ring it into a bucket and keep going, right? So the ShamWow or, or the Eggies. Have you seen the Eggies? This is like the little plastic cup that if it's too hard for you to crack a boiled egg open, you can, you can crack the raw egg open, uh, unscrew the lid of this thing, pour the egg into this cup, screw the lid back on, boil the little plastic thing, and then at the end you can take it out, wait for it to cool, and then unscrew the lid and then have something that looks like a flat egg that comes out the other side. So that's supposed to make your life easier somehow. But then on the other side, there are infomercials that, that try to make your life better. Right, the infomercials that want to transform your life, and so probably the granddaddy of these is P90X. Right, so you see you see the before and after pictures, and you're sitting there, and especially it's especially effective in the winter uh, around New Year's Day when everybody's made a New Year's resolution, and you see these these before people that look kind of like me and you, and and maybe, and uh, and then you see these after pictures that look like they just came off the set of 300. Right, and so you think, all right, I am going to do that. And so maybe you order P90X or maybe you just watch the thing and you realize it's 90 days. I mean, that's like three months of my life. And by the time that I'm done with that, I'll probably be, uh, I've forgotten that this is what I want to do. And so you start to look for an easier solution, right? Because that's kind of the American way. Let's find something easier. And then you see it. You see insanity. And you see insanity. That looks pretty hard, but it's only 60 days. So in 60 days, those people don't look any worse than the P90X people. So in 60 days, I can still be transformed. But then you think, man, that's still two months, two months of my life to do this. And then one day you're flipping through channels and you see it. Eight minute abs. So you go from from 90 days to 60 days to eight minutes. And you think, I can do anything for eight minutes, right? But then you realize that even with eight minute abs... There's a diet program and it's, you know, wants to cut back on your carbs and there's some cardiovascular exercise that needs to happen. And so you keep looking for the right solution. And I think I finally found it. And it's, it goes by a couple different names, um, but maybe you've seen it as the sonic abs or the contour belt. Uh, This is the belt that you wrap around your waist and it sends electrical impulses into your abs to help build your washboard abs, right? And, and so you think, you know, while you're standing and doing the dishes or while you're sitting at your desk, you can wear this thing for 10 minutes and, and it will be the equivalent of doing 600 crunches. And you think that that is the way I am going to get my washboard abs. And I've got to, I'm here to tell you today, it doesn't work. These things... <laughs> I don't know, any exercise program that involves electrocution probably isn't the right exercise program for me. But we all long for transformation, don't we? I mean, we long for it in our physical bodies. Most of us have something about our body that we would like to see changed, right? Uh, We want transformation in our family life, too. We want transformation in our financial life, in our economy, in our relationships. 
And most of us want to see transformation in our spiritual lives as well. And here's the good news this morning, the big idea for today, the thing I want you to walk out with, and it's this. God's Holy Spirit will transform you if you let him. We want to see transformation. We want to see change, but only if it's easy. And the truth is that change is hard. It's hard in your physical life, yes, but transformation and change is also hard in our spiritual life. Change doesn't come easy. And as our passage from Romans 8 today explains, change, even in your spiritual life, is hard. Last week, we we went up through Romans 8, 17, and and verse 17, which Paul read last week, says this, says that we are co-heirs with Christ. And at the end of the message last week, Paul unlocked this truth. He said, if we are to share in his glory, we also have to share in his suffering. And some of you are here this morning and you're thinking, yeah, no kidding. Tell me about that. So when the Apostle Paul at the verse, uh, start of verse 18 starts out with, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us, he's probably lost some credibility with you. Uh, some of you here can't imagine any amount of glory that will make your suffering feel insignificant today. And, and I'm not just talking about the, those of you who are suffering because your football team's 0-4. Or, or those of you who are suffering because you still drive the same old car that you've been driving since high school. Or, or those of you who are suffering because you can't wait for this service to be over so that you can go to brunch, right? I'm talking about those of you who are really suffering. You, you're not sure that your marriage is going to make it. You're, you're in physical pain or, or you think that you can't really take another session of chemotherapy. Or you've recently lost a loved one. Or you're so incredibly lonely and every night you go home to your empty house or your empty apartment, and you wonder if you will ever get married or you'll ever get married again. I'm talking to you who are really suffering, and I'm telling you that the divine-inspired Word of God tells you that the suffering you're feeling now is nothing compared to the glory you're going to feel that will be revealed in you. And the glory is going to come from two transformations, and this Scripture talks a lot about those transformations. And first, clearly we know about the transformation that will take place in heaven, and that's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. Um, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But there's another transformation, and that's the one that the God wants to do. That God wants to do in you to prepare you for heaven. And, and this scripture alludes to that too. And we'll talk about that. And those transformations mean that who you are now is just a preview of who you are to become. It's 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 a preview of who God wants to make you into. Now, hear me out. I, I'm not trying to make light of your struggles. I'm telling you that God says through the Apostle Paul that He's going to transform. You're suffering into glory. And I'm here to tell you that the Apostle Paul knows a thing or two about suffering. I want to read to you what he wrote in 2 Corinthians verse 11. Paul says, I have worked much harder, have been in prison more frequently, have been flogged more severely, severely, and I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned the old-fashioned kind, not the modern medicinal kind. (laughs) Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for the churches. So Paul knows a thing or two about suffering. 
And I want you to think about something. Have you ever heard the expression that the safest place to be is the center of God's will? I I hear that sometimes. And when I hear that, I often think about this passage and I think, really, who could be more in the center of God's will than the Apostle Paul? Right? I mean, do you think that Paul was doing what God wanted him to do? Who could be more inside the center of God's will? And, And clearly, it wasn't safe for Paul. So I can't conclude even that your suffering doesn't mean that you're in God's will. See, when we're saved... If we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we can often be lulled into thinking that our lives are going to instantly get better and that all our problems are going to be solved. But you know how when you graduate from high school and the ceremony is called commencement, and commencement means beginning because it's not really the end of something as much as it's the beginning of your life? Well, I think when we accept Christ and our Savior in the same way, that's not the end of our journey. But in a lot of ways, it's the beginning. It's the beginning of a transformation. Given a new life in Christ... All of God's Holy Spirit is put in you. And that's a good thing because the Holy Spirit can transform you if you let Him. I mean, the amazing thing about God is that He accepts us no matter what our condition, right? That that God will meet us right where we are. But He refuses to let us stay that way. God wants to make you and me more and more like Jesus. He wants to transform us into sons and daughters, as this passage says. But the process isn't always easy. I love what author A.W. Tozer says. He writes this, The newborn Christian is a migrant. He has come into the kingdom of God from his old home in the kingdom of man, and he must get set for the violent changes that will inevitably follow. The violent changes. There's a transformation coming in our lives, and it won't be easy. And in fact, this section of Romans 8 today tells us, it promises us that the process is sometimes going to be painful. This whole section talks about, uh, specifically about groaning that comes as a result of transformation. And if you look at the the passage as a whole, it mentions the word groaning three times. It talks about three different types of groaning. And and I want to talk about those just for a few minutes. And here they are, number one. And these are in your notes if you want to follow along. Number one, all of creation groans. Verse 22 says this, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now, this is the groaning that comes from living in a broken world. Creation groans because it's not perfect. You know, the Bible tells us that when God first created the earth and he created Adam and Eve, that the world was perfect, that that the way they lived was perfect, that the relationship with God was perfect, that everything was perfect. But then that ended. It was broken when Adam and Eve cheated on God. They cheated on God. And, And if you're here this morning and you don't believe in the creation story, you think it's just a myth or or you think it's just an allegory, I want to tell you that the reason the creation story is so compelling to me is not just because it happened, but because it still happens today. I mean, all around us we see people, don't we, that know exactly what we shouldn't do. But we do it anyway, right? And even when we're in a relationship with God, we see that. Something is broken here. It's clear. It's, this place is not like heaven. And, and the earth groans along with you as you go through your transformation. The earth is not the way it should be. And it groans. Author and philosopher G.K. Chesterton says it this way. He says, Living in this world is kind of like living in the remains of a shipwreck. We'll find a few treasures strewn about, but things clearly aren't as they were created to be. You know, we see the earth groaning in, in natural disasters. We see it in hurricanes and tsunamis and earthquakes and in things that cause a lot of suffering. 
we see the earth groaning. We feel it groaning in terrorism and in war. We hear it groaning with hate speech and racial strife. And what's it groaning for? We'll look back in verse 19. It says, The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. The sons of God, that's you and me. See, there's this expectation in this verse that there's a transformation coming, that that, that the earth is waiting for something. And it's waiting for you and me to be changed. It's waiting for us to become more like Jesus. Paul even compares the world to a woman in labor waiting to give birth. There's a transformation that's coming in us. The world will be made perfect again, but there's this hint, some promise that when we have been completely transformed as we look more and more like Jesus, that the groaning in the creation will stop. But for now, that all of creation is waiting for us to change. Number two, the scripture tells us this, that we groan. Verse 23 says, Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And when the Apostle Paul writes about our adoption as sons here, you should understand he's not talking about the adoption that takes place when we accept Jesus as our Savior. That's the adoption that Paul preached about last week. Instead, he's talking about our full adoption that's to come. When the glory of God is fully revealed through the redemption of our bodies, he's talking about heaven here. Look, I I have to be honest that it was a little tough for me to prepare for this morning because I, I don't really know what it's like to suffer. I mean... I've had moments in my life that I regret. I've had times that I don't understand what God was doing in my life, and certainly I've had painful moments in my life. But I've never lost a friend to a drunk driver. I've never had a serious health risk that I thought might mean the end. I've never been so lonely that I thought I might take my own life. And I know that there are people in this room, even today, that are feeling that, that are, that are groaning, that are suffering with those kind of things. You know what it's like to groan inwardly. You know what it's like to feel suffering. But I'm telling you, and this is a promise from the mouth of God himself, that you are being transformed. That your pain has a purpose. It's a part of the process. The suffering you feel is a part of the process of you being made new. You're being transformed into a son, into a daughter. Your body is being redeemed. And if you are so depressed that you're drinking yourself to sleep at night or you're taking drugs to dull the pain or if you think that you might have to end it all because you can't take it anymore, don't do it. Don't do it. No matter how bad the pain, God needs you to fight through it. Verse 24 says this, It says, for in this hope we were saved. Which hope? Go back. The hope of being adopted as a son or a daughter of God. Which hope? The hope of having our body redeemed. That's why God saved you. That's why God saved you. To redeem you. Not to see you throw it all away because you can't stand the pain any longer. A lot of you know I like to run in uh, in almost every race. And I heard it again yesterday as I ran. About the one mile mark, somebody will say, hey, is this thing about over? And and you know they're trying to be funny, but in a way, there's some truth to it. There's always something that says it would be easier to quit now. But the truth is, I run because I want my body to be transformed. I want to look different. And, And if I were to quit then, I wouldn't allow the transformation to take place. I would get out of the suffering, sure. The suffering would end. But in the long run, the transformation wouldn't be able to take place. But sometimes when we look eagerly toward the end of something, what we're really looking forward to is just the end of the suffering. 
not the great transformation that's the result. And in that case, it's a lot easier to quit. It's a lot easier to walk away than to walk through the rest of our transformation. But that's what we need to do is walk through it because God is using your trials to make something beautiful out of you. In fact, God wants to use you not in spite of your suffering. God wants to use you because of your suffering. He wants to use your suffering as part of your transformation. In 1 Peter 4, Peter writes this, uh, verse 11 and 12. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to the world. Don't be surprised when you're facing trials. Instead, be glad. And that seems so bogus if you're going through suffering. I've got to tell you, you've got to think, what do you mean be glad about my trials? Don't be glad in the suffering, but be glad because the suffering is going to do something different to you. And maybe you're here and you can feel the pain and you can feel the groaning, but you see no signs of transformation. You see no hint that anything's going to change anytime soon, but have hope. This passage uses another word as much as it uses the word groan. Three times in three different verses, the word wait is used. And the commitment God asks of us is this. Even when I can't see hope, I will wait. It says wait patiently, wait eagerly. Creation waits. Verse 24 and 25, if we look at those again, they say, But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And number three, and here's the hope for us today, the Holy Spirit groans along with us. Verse 26 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And here's the thing. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, we're really glad you're here. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you're welcome to come back as long as you need to. But if you've never decided to make him the Lord of your life, you are walking through this alone. And that's a problem. See, many of us have a tendency to think as we suffer that no one has ever felt what we're feeling. No one has ever dealt with my set of circumstances, but that's not true. Maybe you've never felt what you're feeling, but someone has. Someone has. Maybe you've never dealt with what you're dealing with, but someone has. And God's Spirit, which is the same Spirit that lives in you if you're a Christ follower, it's the same Spirit which raised Jesus from the dead is available to help you, that wants to transform you, he will intercede with prayers even when you don't know what to pray. And a few weeks ago, Paul preached about the Holy Spirit and he talked about ways that the Holy Spirit will lead you. And if you missed that, I recommend that you listen to it, even maybe this afternoon. You can go on our website, genesisnoblesville.com, or you can go on iTunes. But, But I want you to hear about that because the Holy Spirit will lead you He will guide you. Isaiah 30, 21 says it this way. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. And here's what I hope that you hear today. You need God to get you through your suffering. Now, this is the problem. Many times we're fine with being a Christian until things get hard, until the pain comes. And then this thought comes. And I've had it. If God were real... 
He wouldn't make me go through this. If God were real, he wouldn't allow suffering. He must not be real. He must not love me. And nothing could be further from the truth. Think about that moment on the cross when his only son Jesus hung there, beaten and scarred, mocked and spit at, and he calls out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the depths of his suffering, Jesus called out to God. He felt abandoned, but he never once doubted the existence of God or the love of God. In his book, King's Cross, Tim Keller says this. He says, And when you suffer, you may be completely in the dark about the reason for your own suffering. It may seem as senseless to you as Jesus' suffering seemed to the disciples, but the cross tells you what the reason isn't. It can't be that God doesn't love you. It can't be that he has no plan for you. It can't be that he has abandoned you. Jesus was abandoned and paid for our sins so that God the Father would never abandon you. The cross proves that he loves you and understands what it means to suffer. It also demonstrates that God can be working in your life even when it seems that there is no rhyme or reason to what's happening. You know... I had the privilege this week of sitting across the table from a couple that goes to our church, John and Kelly Williams. There they are on the screen with their three kids. They gave me permission to share their story with you. John and Kelly have, they have three kids up there. Uh, Kennedy is the second one from the left, and Zane uh, is in the middle there, and then uh, Sylvia is on the right. And, and Zane, their son, is eight years old, and he's in second grade. And, and Zane's a really sweet and intelligent boy. I have him in my class in Gen Kids sometimes. Uh, and you'd never know to look at him that he suffers from mitochondrial disease. Mitochondrial disease is a chronic, progressive, and terminal disease. Zane was diagnosed with failure to thrive at six months old. He wasn't growing, he wasn't gaining weight, but the Williamses spent the next three years trying to figure out exactly what was wrong with Zane. They went to doctors and specialists all throughout the Midwest who couldn't point to the cause of his condition. They watched in disbelief as doctor after doctor would just throw up their hands and say, look at the parents and say, I don't know, what do you guys want to do next? So when it was almost a relief when his diagnosis came of this horrible disease, because now at least they could come up with a game plan. So they found a support group for parents of kids with this disease. But when Kelly called the leader of the support group, the first question out of her mouth was, have you made funeral arrangements yet? And they knew that that was not the route they needed to take. Desperate for answers, John accepted an invitation from a friend to Genesis Church, and they committed to make God and church an important part of their lives. This was a defining moment for this family. Since they've done that, they have changed their perspective. I asked John this week, I said, can you give me your thoughts on suffering? And he replied, that's really hard because I don't really think we're suffering anymore. He says, suffering is despair. Suffering is a lack of hope. Suffering is something that doctors can't fix. Only God can. Some friends gave them a powerful perspective when they told Kelly, you're looking at this all wrong. God isn't making you go through this. Instead, God chose you as a family that can handle having a child with this disease. John and Kelly would tell you today that if they hadn't found Genesis... If they hadn't turned to God, they would maybe even not still be together. I think you can see that the Williamses are still waiting for the world to undergo its transformation. But it's clear that they've been transformed even in the suffering. 
They've taken this really tragic diagnosis and have allowed it to transform their marriage into something beautiful. The most powerful comment to come out of our meeting was this. I, I sat and I watched Zane across the table as he sipped on his milk and played with his iPad. And, and John, said, John said, I can't imagine going through this without God. He said, he said he wanted to tell you that you can fight through this on your own, but, but you'll be miserable. He said, I have a peace now that tells me if the worst were to happen to my son, he will be taken care of far beyond anything that I could ever provide. And then he said this, John said, besides, it's not like I can look at God and say, you don't know what it's like to lose a son. And here's the promise we get from Romans 8. And what may be my favorite verse in the Bible, and it's this, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say when things will work for good. It may be soon or it may be in the next life. We can't know God's plan for change. It also doesn't say that all things are good. That illness you're dealing with, that's not good. Zane's illness, that's not good. The strained relationship with your child or with your parents, that's not good. The financial problems you're going through, you're not being able to find a job, that's not good. But they can work together for good. And it's hard to see how. But in the end, God is making everything new. And all of your pain, all of your suffering is part of that transformation. In King's Cross, Tim Keller goes on with this. He says, On the day of the Lord, the day that God makes everything right, the day that everything sad comes untrue, on that day, the same thing will happen to your hurts and sadness. You will find that the worst things that have ever happened to you will in the end only enhance your eternal delight. On that day, all of it will be turned inside out and you will know joy beyond the walls of this world. The joy of your glory will be that much greater for every scar you bear. We may never know exactly why we go through what we do. But if we trust in God's transforming process, if we decide to wait on him, God promises to make everything new out of us, out of our circumstances, and even out of our suffering. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we come before you this morning uh, confident that you can hear our prayers. But we humbly admit that we don't understand suffering. We don't understand the transformation process that we're going through. We don't know why you make us go through what you make us go through. Why you allow us to go through what you allow us to go through. But God, we, we just firmly commit this morning that, that we understand that our pain has a purpose. Lord, I just pray that you would give hope to those who are here this morning who are in pain, who are suffering, who are really struggling, and who can't see it now. But, but Lord, I just pray that you would give them hope that there's a change that's coming, that there's a transformation that you're doing in their life, that you're going to make something beautiful out of what they're going through right now that might be so painful, God. I just want to ask you this morning, all the eyes are closed and the heads are bowed in the room, if you're... If you're suffering this morning and you need some extra prayer, would you just raise your hand? Would you just slip your hand up in the air? I'd love to thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. Thank you for those. 
Lord God, I just pray for the people that have just raised their hand. I pray for, for those um, people, no matter what their suffering is, God, and you know what it is. I just pray that that would be, uh, that that's part of their transformation process, that you would do something amazing in them, and that, Lord, we know in your time you will end their suffering. But in the meantime, will you help them to see the hope that something is changing, that something's being made beautiful? And Lord, I'm just convinced that there are some in this room that don't know you now, that, that need you, that I pray that even right now that they would feel an overwhelming need to let you lead them. And again, as we're here this morning and we're all in prayer, everybody's eyes are closed. If you're here and you've never made the Lord Jesus the Lord of your life and you feel like they need to do that now, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to call you out by name. I'm not going to um, make you stand up or anything. I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray over you. You can pray this prayer along with me. God, I know I've sinned, and I, I can't continue to do this on my own, Lord. So I just pray, Jesus, that you would come into my heart. I pray that you would be the Lord of my life. I pray that you would take my suffering and make it into something beautiful for your glory, God. And on this morning, um, I just pray that we could commit fully to God to understand and know that his spirit is making a change in us. And that we would commit that even when we can't see hope, that we would wait. God, our prayers this morning are all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.